Interested in real estate? How about wealth? Well, they go hand in hand. And here, you'll learn all about it. Welcome to Be The Bank, a podcast where we discuss and debate the topics centered around real estate investing. Your host, Justin Bogard, shares insights into investing in real estate to create real wealth and passive income for you and your family. He'll share stories of real estate investments done right, walk you through the process of owning a real estate note, and most importantly, educate you so you can be the bank. This is Be The Bank, brought to you by American Note Buyers. Now, here's your host, Justin Bogard. Welcome to episode number 14 of season five of the Be The Bank podcast. Today, we're actually going to be talking a little bit about hidden costs with non-performing loans and the uh, information that Richard and I will discuss with it. So if that sounds interesting to you, I would like you to stay tuned for more. Richard Thornton, you are in the same virtual room as me right now. In your presence. How often does that happen? Yeah. And I think, um, are we actually here? We're here. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's not a virtual clap. <laughs> this is the first time we've been in the same room recording together. So this is this is quite different. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. anyways, Richard, uh, how have you been? I've been good. I've been, I'm a little bit jet lagged at the moment since I'm out That's from right. California. Um, you know, uh, one does not sleep as well as one would like. And plus when you're getting up, you're taking red eyes. It is what it is. Yeah. So Richard has flown out to Indianapolis to kind of hang out with, uh, with me, go to a couple of events with me here the next couple of days. And so we decided to record this podcast together since we were in the same room and we hadn't really done that before. So fancy anyway, that anyways. Yeah. The weather is, is nice here. It's high eighties and getting humid. So it's the traditional July weather in Indiana. Yay. Mm -hmm. So today, Richard, I know I mentioned that we were going to be talking about uh, hidden costs with NPLs. And so I think this is a great topic to kind of get into with folks that have never invested in non-performing loans. NPLs, just so you know, is our little acronym we say for non-performing loans. And what is a non-performing loan? Well, basically, it's a loan that hasn't paid in about 90 days or longer. And we consider that a non-performing loan. And those we can buy at a bigger discount because they're not performing. They don't have any cash flow. So you're assuming that the borrower is just not going to pay you or you have to work uh, with them to get them to start paying or remodify the loan. Or lastly, you would go through a foreclosure process. And so when you are buying a loan that's already performing or already non-performing, Richard, uh, what are the, some of the things in your experience now that uh, in your own words that you can kind of tell us basically how you're going to price it and what you kind of looking in the back of your mind going, yeah, this, this could cost X, Y, Z. Right. Well, obviously the biggest thing you always want to look at is what do you think your exit price is going to be? Okay. Are you going to renovate it? Or are you not going to renovate it? And uh, you know, before we get down this road too far, one thing I'd like to mention is that uh, a lot of people think that there's a lot of NPLs, uh, post-COVID coming down the line. Um, I agree with that. I think there are going to be more. I don't think we're going to get this tsunami that we thought we were going to get due to some of the federal programs, but we are going to see more of this product. So it's it's all um, beneficial for us to know about that. So when I'm looking at something, I'm really pricing uh, what I think I can get for my eventual sales price. 
um, and what I think is a good deal on yield. Uh, but I guess now that I've been through a number of these, uh, I'm starting to really lower my price, uh, actually. Um, okay. you're, you're going to hit the home run, the, the, hopefully. A home run is going to come at some point. But you really have to look at, um, and this is tough because more times than not, you're not at the site. Uh, you have to look at what your cleanup costs are going to be. Um, how much are they actually going to charge you if you have to clean the, the property out if it's been trashed? Um, if it doesn't sell, uh, sell right away, which you're not going to know, um, you may have to clean it out two or three times. So that just happened to one on me. Um, the fellow I had look at it to start with said, well, clean out cost will be um, about $3,000. And it came back. And I said, well, gee, there's a whole lot more stuff going on in the, uh, with mold and whatnot in the, in the basement that we thought your initial clean-out's going to be out be about 10000 Oh, geez. Great. And then I had to, before we finally got everything <clears throat> along as well as possible, um, this was a deed in lieu. You know, there was no uh, big problems there. But I found out that I had to get the yard and all that cleaned out twice because the local neighbors were now using it as a dumping yard. And <laughs> I, I had a new toilet in the front yard. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lots of fun. Right. Um, and uh, I had to get my uh, deed and lieu uh, drafted. And so there was extra legal costs there and um, taxes, back taxes, okay. unpaid taxes, unpaid water bills, unpaid electric bill, electric and gas bills. Now, I probably spent five, $6,000 on just those right there. And I thought there would be some. I just, this borrower up to that point, I mean, this was a very friendly uh, instance where she called me. She said, look, I, I've had uh, a disabled lady. I, I can't no, can no longer make the payments. Basically, here's the keys and I'll do everything I can. Well, okay. I got, uh, got into it and I found out that she was living in what most of us would call squalor on a house that Zillow and everybody else said was worth $130,000. And I ended up getting $22,000 on the sale. Um, so I took it in the chin quite heavily on that. Um, you have to factor as many of those things in as you can and still right. try and be competitive. Yeah. So you, you you got a lot of great information in there. So let's kind of un, unpack that and, and back that up kind of one, one detail at a time. So the things when you go through a non-performing loan and you're bidding on the loan to buy it, obviously if you had the magic number of exactly what it's going to cost to fix it, this would be easy and everybody would be do it. However, that's not the case for non-performing loans because a, you know what condition the outside of the property is and B you don't know what condition the inside of the property is unless you have somebody that has recent photos of what that looks like, which is pretty much slim, slim, slim to none. That's right. going to happen. Right. So, you have to anticipate about what you think it's going to cost to repair the house or what you think it's worth today based on just the outside pictures. You can look up uh, liens on the property to see what's against it, like property taxes. So you'll know that you can talk to like the building uh, enforcers or the, or the codes for the, for the building uh, enforcements uh, or any liens that way. You can find out from the utility companies about how much that stuff costs. Some places are harder to get that information than others. So you, you have a good idea of what they're behind on. But there's also some hidden things like Richard mentioned. Uh, when you get inside, you don't know if you got a, a $500 cleanup or you got a, what you said, about $12,000 cleanup right. uh, with the yard and everything. So you just have to kind of 
put your real estate investing hat on, just understand some of those things. Um, taxes are greatly different in different counties and different states. Um, here in Indiana, we were having a discussion this morning at a networking meeting with Richard and I were talking about how taxes in California, property taxes are different here in Indiana. Indiana is pretty, pretty mild as far as uh, property taxes are concerned. Typically, it, you know, it's a few percent of sales price is what taxes are. And then we have some exemptions on top of that. California obviously is, is much different and I can, I can let you speak to that. So. What is taxes in California? Property taxes. That was my what are taxes? lead in, my segue. I was taking it. I was going to let you hang there. I, gonna let you, let I you think hang. Richard fell asleep on me. I think that jet lag really took 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 you out, buddy. I need to need to get some more coffee in you. Well, that, I mean, actually, you bring up a very good point in, in terms of California because um, you've got a lot of homeowners who have been in their homes there for years. There's uh, a proposition called Prop 13 which is near and dear to a lot of homeowners' uh, hearts because it limits the increase to 1% per year. Well, if you're, uh, you know, taking over a house that somebody's lived in for 30 years, yeah. uh, the taxes very well may triple. Um, and so if you're, you know, if you go into it and say, oh, the taxes were only $4,000, um, even though you're owning, owning it a short period of time, they may be uh, triple what you thought it was going to be. And if you're doing any improvements, they're going to do a reassessment and they're going to say, Hey, look, it was worth this. Yeah. Now it's worth this. And so you've got to pay taxes on that interim period. Uh, so that can really bite you. So what I think people would be best to understand during their due diligence and trying to bid on a non-performing loan is taking this stuff into consideration of what you know. Obviously, you have to spend some money to really dig into exactly what's going on. So you make what's called an indicative offer, and that offer is subject to further due diligence, meaning you've done all your free due diligence and you feel like this is what I think it's worth. And then you dive into specifics after that to figure out exactly, right, what are these liens? You're going to run specific lien reports and title reports to know exactly what's going on. And so you can kind of subtract those numbers if they were worse than you thought from your bid. So that way your net price is really where you want to be, which is which is probably 65 to 70 percent of what as is value today is, is what your goal is. Just like if you were fixing and flipping a house, that's, that's kind of the golden rule is you want to be kind of 70 percent of value minus kind of expenses and repairs. Uh, so that way you can have a profit in there because we're all in this game for a profit. We're not in the game to uh, lose money. Like, you know, this, unfortunately that's happened to you. Unfortunately it's happened to me. It's happened to many, many people as well. Even, even in the note space, sometimes things just pop up that you just, you, you didn't catch during your due diligence process and you definitely learn from it. Cause I know I have learned from it. It sounds like, you know, you, you've learned a few things from your St. Louis um, um, asset that you were just mentioning. So it, it's interesting how you have to bid on these things. So Yeah, you also have to look at the, the timing factor. I mean, don't be fooled by uh, the people that say, oh, gee, this is Texas. It only takes you 30 days to foreclose. Or, oh, gee, it's, you know, whatever. I mean, in this instance uh, that I just went through, um, the, the uh, borrower was very nice. She called me up. They said, look, we're, you know, we can't make the payments. We'll be glad to sign it over to you in Dita Lou. Um, and by the time I, uh, got the deed and lieu drafted, got, got them to sign it, uh, got everything papered, you know, sold, yada, yada, soup to nuts. We were looking at 120 days. Mm -hmm. So you can say, well, gee, that's really fast. 
well, it is, but I had to pay the taxes for 120 <laughs> days. Yeah. You know, and uh, carry all those other things. And so it, it, if you're not careful, your profits could get eaten up very quickly. Yeah. Best advice I can give somebody, and Richard, I'll, I'll let you, you weigh in on your thoughts as well, is you, you really want to have somebody else that's done at least, you know, 20 or 30 of these kind of look over your shoulder as a second set of eyes and just saying, hey, look, I would be looking out for this. I would watch out for that. I don't know anybody that's done anyone that county. Maybe we ought to ask for somebody that's that's done a non-performing loan in this county of the state because it really does help to just know that information. Uh, so just, you know, continue to grow your network. And I would say that's the best advice for first or second time. No, no non-performing note to buyers is really to tether yourself to somebody. Yes. And or have boots in the ground that you really trust. That's true. You know, somebody maybe you want to say focus on Omaha or maybe Kansas <clears throat> City or or wherever. So you have a local partner or a local trusted partner. Maybe it's going to be a contractor that's that's uh, potentially going to get the, the deal. So he likes um, working with you or something like it, he or she. Um, to go actually go out and look at it. And if necessary, peek in the window and find out what what the uh, condition the, the kitchen yeah. is in and uh, all this type of stuff. And do what you can that's legal. Obviously, don't do anything illegal, right. Right. but do what you can that's legal. Once you own the property, obviously, you can get in there and you can secure it if it's vacant and it's non-performing. Like there, there are things you can do as a lender. Don't feel like you can't have control of the property if you need to winterize it and no one lives there you are able to do that by the statutes inside of the, the mortgage or deed of trust agreement, whatever you're using, you're allowed, you're allowed to do that. So you mentioned a couple of things about boots on the ground. So um, what are some other sources for boots on the ground that somebody may not have think of that say, Hey, that's, that's actually a good source for a person I could find locally there. Cause obviously no one's going to know everything and, and, or everybody in every single city or town. Right. So, you know, I usually call a couple of local realtors. And I'll say, look, do you have a presence in XYZ market, this 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 neighborhood, whatever it is? Okay. So it's not just if it's Kansas City, you can't just call up a Kansas City realtor. You've got to say, gee, are you uh, uh, familiar with the Linwood neighborhood or, yep. or whatever? So they really know that. Another thing is it doesn't hurt to call the city and the city planning department. I came very near to buying a house outside of Des Moines, Iowa for $40,000. I was going to buy the, the mortgage for $40,000. I called the city and was chatting with somebody <clears> in the family <throat> planning department. And they said, where is this house? And they mm -hmm. you know, questioned it. And uh, they turns out they had a program that they were going through and buying up houses that had been um, vacated because they had so many in the area. And they're only paying $12,000 per house. And my house was, uh, the house that I was looking at, was actually going to be demoed uh, within the next couple of months for $12,000. I would have taken a huge loss on that. Wow. So somebody who just knows the area. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't think I've ever talked to a city planning person. Um, fire department, they have a lot of those guys are volunteer firemen. And so their their full time income is not to be a, a, a volunteer fire person. Right. Um, they also do handyman work. It's very common for somebody in that in that business to do handyman work. So they also know the street that they uh, that their fire department, you know, monitors and, and takes care of um, that neighborhood. So it's it's always good to reach out to the local, the closest, maybe police department or fire department. Just ask a question, say, hey, 
you know, I'm looking to uh, buy this property in this area. I'm just curious, you know, do you, do you have a lot of calls in this area? You know, if it's police department, do you have, you know, are you getting a lot of crime in that area? Like just, just ask some questions. It doesn't hurt, especially when you're buying one at a time, you can be very detailed as to your due diligence on what to do when you're buying in bulk, when you're buying a tape of loans, it's, you know, it's the shotgun approach. You're, you can't be that detailed on every single one. Otherwise you'll be spending months doing due diligence and uh, you'll, you'll not, not get very far, right? Someone yeah. else will take the deal out from underneath you. That's true. And I think if you're buying in bulk, if you're lucky enough to buy in bulk, You've got to pretty much assume that you're going to, uh, you have to be in and out as quickly as possible. In other words, you're going to do as little renovation on the property right. as possible. You're going to get in, you're going to assess it, you're going to find out just what it takes to, to bring it up to saleability and get rid of it as soon as possible, yeah. which is a whole different attitude of, of doing it. You still have to be careful for all the things that we mentioned. <clears throat> but, um, you know, on paper, the house said that. I talked about earlier, um, Zillow, uh, Realtor.com. They all said the house was worth one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and my basis was thirty. And I thought, hey, I'm, I'm right. You know, I'm, 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 I'm easy here. I'm cool. Right, and you're not looking at the Zillow price going. It, it's definitely exactly one hundred thirty thousand. You're just going, okay. They're saying it's one hundred thirty. Let's just say conservatively, it's like eighty or ninety. Right. And then you're like, I got 30 into it. Okay. I feel pretty good about this, even if it needs some work. And sure enough, that's, that's not the case. So, right. So that's where boots on the ground really help. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So with, with non-performing loans, there are, the question I want to pose to you is, do you attack the due diligence or the, the pricing, I guess I should say, when you um, know that the loan is, like going through foreclosure process with the current note holder or the loan is just non-performing and you know, you're going to have to go through the foreclosure process. Like, do you look at those differently and, and weigh that into your calculation? Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people will say if, if it's in foreclosure, that's a whole lot better, right? Yeah. Um, because uh, you know what your timeline is going to be, hopefully, unless they're playing you somehow. Yeah. Um, and I've got one of those going right now too. That's a, that's a whole different story if they're if the uh, borrower is just uh, playing the court. Um, but uh, yeah, you have to um, look at 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 those factors um, when you get into it. So you mentioned the borrower, um, you know, pl- playing the game. And one of the games that they can play and legitimately they can do this. And, and unfortunately sometimes they have to for them, or sometimes it's a saving grace is bankruptcy. And so they can go through bankruptcy court and the court can decide whether the mortgage can get thrown out or not. Now that's kind of the worst case scenario. I don't think I've seen many where the mortgage uh, debt was thrown out. Typically if, if they're able to get some income, um, they, you know, are they, the mortgage is like the for sure thing that they have to pay. Maybe they can get their credit cards and stuff wiped out or possibly car loans. Typically not. But yeah, the mortgage stuff is, is typically always going to be there. And somebody's going to make sure that the person gets their, their money garnished and it goes towards paying back the mortgage company. So that, that can be like a five year process uh, to have that stuff uh, pay down to go through the bankruptcy part. But the cool thing about bankruptcy is that it, a lot of you may not know is that, 
there is extra money on the back end that you don't that you might not know about on the surface as to looking at the bankruptcy number because we have we've had a couple and we currently have one now in one of our portfolios and there's like two or three thousand dollars left at the back end of it that are still owed in uh, like the post petition type of stuff. Uh, not only do they owe on the unpaid balance, they owe, you know, on the late charges and any advances that you make, but there's also like this back end money as well. So look into that when you're looking at bankruptcies, they can be actually really sweet deals uh, for somebody looking for some cash flow. Right. So the one, uh, another one that I've got going right now when I'm saying playing, um, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know all the ins and outs of this at all. But my understanding is, is, is that they can, uh, the borrower can let it be in bankruptcy, let you be uh, get to a certain degree of distress mm-hmm. and, and then come in and bring it current just before you would for, actually foreclose on it and then not make payments and keep doing that again and again. They can do that like three times or something like that, which can uh, greatly uh, increase the amount of time that you're not getting uh, any return on your money. Yeah. So. Ultimately, Richard, uh, just to go back to the MPL stuff after we sidetracked, the MPLs in general, in my experience, I've had a lot more successes than I've had failures. And I think it it stems down to how um, adamant you are about doing your due diligence and just checking for not only the basic things, but just kind of digging just a little deeper and finding out the story. Uh, we've, we, we've shared loans on this podcast about how we've had... Um, uh, private lenders that their borrowers are just refusing to pay them, but they're more than happy to pay us. Right. And we've had situations right. to where all we had to do was reach out to the borrower and work out a deal with them. And they're happy to pay and they're willing to pay. They just couldn't work with the previous person that was a note holder. Um, so there, there's many different reasons why if a loan looks bad on paper or if it sounds bad from the note seller, it could it could be a great opportunity for you. So just dig just a little bit deeper on your due diligence and just find out what's going on. Do your own research. Get the facts. That's the key to non-performing loans. And um, ultimately, you should have more successes than failures. Uh, you can't can't bet a thousand in this business with non-performing loans. I don't know anybody that has um, unless you're just able to get, you know, literally pennies on the dollar for deals. Then you can you can take a swing at several of them like that without doing much due diligence. Uh, but ultimately you should have more successes and failures. I agree. So, all right. That's uh, about a wrap for today. This is uh, season number five, episode number 14, the Be The Make podcast brought to you by American Note Buyers. We got Richard Thornton and Justin Bogard on the show today, and we will see you guys on the next one, which we'll be recording in a couple of weeks. So everyone have a safe, uh, hope you everyone had a safe 4th of July and we will see you later. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Be The Bank. We hope you learned something from today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us. Plus, check out our channel on YouTube and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Be The Bank and on Instagram at Be The Bank Podcast. Be The Bank is sponsored by American Note Buyers. Thanks again for listening.